So a fun trivia question before we jump into uh, Genesis here. Uh, what Wisconsin water park is America's largest? Anyone? Anyone? Noah's Ark! Man, you guys, doesn't Wisconsin rock? We have the largest. But the thing is, guys, the real Ark, okay, um, it had no slip and slide. You guys know that? Okay? Um, rather than fun, the Ark's survivors, they walked out into a, a scary, a new world. Second uh, Peter 3 puts, puts it this way, the world that then existed perished. So Everything radically changed. So the pre-flood paradise was replaced with rugged terrain, brutal weather. In addition, hostility existed between uh, Noah and his furry friends now. It was hunt or be hunted. Um, Do you guys know that they found fossilized uh, human footprints alongside dinosaur footprints? That can't be true if evolution's true so i don't know science i guess would debunk evolution right there but anyways <laughs> uh if dinosaurs are as nasty as what we're told they were do you think they'd probably be eating human beings do you think human beings would put up with and maybe want to kill them all probably where did the dinosaurs go i don't know anyways um also guys if you think about uh, post-world, it would have been foreign, frightening, um, and our tendency would be to gather, right? When we don't know what's going on, we want to be around others. There's safety in numbers. So Noah and his descendants, as they exited the ark, uh, they stuck together. But we were told in what? In chapter 9 of Genesis, verse 1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth that was the command from the Lord. And they were to scatter and they were to repopulate planet Earth. Now, as we jump into chapter 11, I want you guys to understand chronologically, uh, Genesis 10 follows chapter 11 because Genesis 10 is a table of nations which shows the nations and how they were divided and later resettled but chapter 11 takes us to Babel how many guys are familiar with Babel in its story okay a good handful of you some of this will be new territory for you guys but this is a lot of practical uh, wisdom for you and I uh, really tells us why God had had to jumpstart man's migration so rather than spread out Noah's descendants, they disobeyed God. That's what they chose to do. And they huddled up. They gather in Iraq, in the plain of Shinar. They joined together as one people under one government. And they had one ruler, a man identified in chapter 10. And you guys remember? Nimrod, right? Again, do not name your child Nimrod, okay? <laughs> not a good dude. Um, the name means to rebel. And he actually led a revolt against the living God. That was Nimrod's mission. And if you look at chapter 10, verse 9, it tells us that he was a mighty, mighty hunter. Tradition tells you and I, guys, that he invented the first hunting techniques and had an uncunning way with animals. So in a world where animals had suddenly become a threat to the human race, a man with uh, this type of skill, okay, um, would have been hailed as a savior, okay? He's able to hunt down these hunters uh, and take them out. So he was hailed as savior. Now let's take a look in chapter 11 together of Genesis, 
verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east and they found the plain in the land of Shinar that they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. Now, the same word, guys, that is translated asphalt is waterproofing material, okay? It was used on the basket, same word, that was used to hold little baby Moses, okay? It was waterproof um, as he went down the Nile there. Now, some of you guys might have the old King James this morning, and it says they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar, um, now, this, I think, is a beautiful picture for you and I of our government, okay? We have some solid things, good policies, these bricks, but we have a bunch of slime trying to hold it together, okay? Um, you guys know that our government, it's not going to work. There's never been a human government that worked. They all fall apart. We got a pretty good one. I think we've been blessed here in America but we see it falling apart right before our eyes. It's gotten too big, too messy, and this great nation, maybe the greatest nation that's ever lived, we see falling apart. And it's not from without, it's from within. It's us, we the people. Let me really quickly speak to dispensations with you guys for a second. Um, when I say dispensation, how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, six, seven of you guys. I'm a dispensationalist. That's something I believe. Okay, There's different ways to look at the whole of the Bible. And I look at the scriptures as history. You guys know that we have a history book. Okay, Now, the Bible is broken up into different parts, different ways that God has worked with man throughout history. And this word dispensation isn't a fun word that we just made up. Paul the Apostle, who was given to the ministry of, of sharing the gospel to the Gentile world, okay? He referred to, I think it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he was given to the ministry, the dispensation of ministry of grace. Do you guys know that we're saved by grace today? Okay? And he was going out and he was preaching the gospel to the world, okay, of the grace of God. And that's how we are saved. Now, for Adam and Eve, if we go back to the beginning of history, okay, how were they to be saved in the garden? Because if we consider the garden, it was perfect, wasn't it? No sin. Perfect environment. Now, some of you guys have gone to college, and some of you guys have had classes where you had to read books by B.F. Skinner. How many of you guys are familiar with him? He's a psychopath. I mean, a psychologist. Um, <clears throat> He says we're a byproduct of our environment, and that is the basis of so much psychology today. Mommy took your nookie away when you were a baby too soon, and that's why you're acting out today. That's the basis of what we are being taught and we bought into. Well, Adam and Eve, the most perfect man and woman who've ever lived, couldn't make it in a perfect environment. Do you guys know that they blew it? God said, hey, don't partake of this tree and you'll live. You partake of this tree, you're going to die. So they had the perfect environment, and man couldn't make it there. Adam bombed, okay? <laughs> That's the first dispensation that I see in Scripture. Okay, It's the first time we see God dealing with man. 
And not long after that, after they were driven out of the garden, what did we see in chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 6? Cain, <laughs> sin's crouching at the door. It's knocking at the door. It's desire is for you. But you, Cain, are to rule over it. And how long was Cain able to bear, or how long was uh, Cain, uh, I just blew the joke. <laughs> how long could Cain bear with his brother? As long as he was able. There it is. But the point is, we know he killed his brother Abel, right? Um, Cain, that dispensation, it changed. Perfect environment, they're not in a perfect environment more. The fall came, the curse. Man's now living in a new dispensation. They were to live by conscience. You are to rule over your sin. You are to know what's right and wrong. They couldn't do it. We saw Cain kill his brother because he was jealous. And that's really where our conscience goes. We're killing each other to this day. Man can't live by their conscience. Well, in the name of what is right and good, I'm going to kill you to keep this. I mean, we're so messed up in our thinking. Our conscience have been seared, as Corinthians tells us. And then that brought what? The flood, right? That's the next dispensation. God said, I'm done. Man, the heart of man is wicked continually, we're told. I'm starting over. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Noah, you are going to govern the people. That's when we saw government, the dispensation of government come into place. But the problem was, is God gave Noah his instructions to govern the people. He couldn't govern himself. What's the first thing we read about Noah doing after he got off the ark? He got drunk. He couldn't even govern himself. And we're going to get there today, the Tower of Babel. Hey, our government, we don't need you, God. We're actually opposed to you. Our government, we the people, we're going to build a tower up to heaven. Quality for everybody. What we want goes. It doesn't matter if you call it sin. We're going to do what we want. And that's the reality of government throughout world history, guys. But man can function in government. Even the best of governments don't work. The best of us, Noah, who found Grace in the eyes of the Lord, a righteous dude, couldn't govern himself. Okay, Man can't live on conscience, and we can't live in the right environment. Well, then we say, hey, we just need the right laws. Well, actually, we have Abraham come up, would be the next dispensation. We're going to read about him this morning and be introduced to him. Do you guys know that Abraham was given promises, a dispensation of promise? Here, man, I'm going to work with you. I'm giving you these beautiful promises. All you need to do is believe. Did Abraham believe? In part, but he disbelieved often also. He didn't enter into those promises. God had to keep recorrecting him. Man can't live on promise. And then we come to the conclusion, well, if we just have the right laws in place, right? Exodus chapter 20, guys. Remember when Mo went up on the Mount there in Sinai and got the Ten Commandments? Hey, here we go. We got the big ten. God's told us what we have to do. Now man finally can save themselves. All we need to do is do the law. But the problem was, when Moses came down with the tablets, the Ten Commandments from the mountain, what were the children of Israel doing? They were breaking the first commandment already. Guys, law doesn't work. None of us can fulfill the law. And that's why we have this beautiful dispensation in which you and I live in since the cross when Jesus laid down his life for you and I, we have this dispensation of grace. 
We are saved by what he has done because we couldn't do it in the perfect environment. We couldn't do it by living according to our conscience. We couldn't live on promise. We couldn't live with the right government. We couldn't, guys, keep the law. So we have this dispensation of grace. So you guys kind of get the point, the picture of how history is being played out. That's why, and yesterday I encouraged our brothers and sisters uh, who were uh, here for the teaching and preaching uh, class, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved to God, a workman who rightly divides the word of God. And unless we are rightly dividing the word, we're going to find ourselves trying to live in another part of history, another dispensation. Because are we to live under the law? No. Okay? That's done with. That's over. We're definitely not living in a perfect environment anymore. (laughs) Okay? We can't live by our conscience. We have to live in the reality of God's grace. Does that make sense? And we know that that time period is going to play out and come to an end because there's another dispensation yet future. Have you guys studied through the book of Revelation? Well, yeah, I've been hanging out here at Freedom. We did that last year. There's that great tribulation, seven-year period of time. God is going to work with man differently during that time. And then there's going to be a thousand years, new heaven, new earth, another dispensation. But I think it helps you and I to rightly divide the scriptures when we understand those dispensations and understand why God spoke and asked the different things of man at the different times. Does that make sense? Okay. And for the people who want to say, hey, you know, God made all the herbs of the field. Marijuana must be a good thing. No, that's a wrong dispensation. That wasn't a perfect environment, but the curse came. Weed is not the same as what it was when that was spoken. Do you guys understand where rightly dividing the word makes sense? Or when you have somebody come to your door and say, hey, do you want to be part of the 144,000 that we read about here in the book of Revelation? Uh, Not really. (laughs) I want to be saved by the blood of the Lamb. I want to go to be with Jesus in heaven. I don't want to go through the tribulation. Are you nuts? Do you want to be a part of the 144,000? And by the way, that's yet future. That hasn't happened yet. How are you telling me that you're one of the 144,000 when that dispensation hasn't even happened yet? So again, guys, rightly dividing the word of God correctly saves us from a lot of false teaching, false error. Does that make sense? Sorry, that was a complete tangent. Let's get back. Oh, I could say so much more about that. What are we talking about? Nimrod. Did we look at verse 1 yet? Oh, yeah. That's where the slime came up. (laughs) Okay, sorry. And then it goes on to say, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the earth. So Nimrod here, he builds this tower up to the heavens, not to glorify God, But what does it say? To make a name for ourselves, to glorify man. So we know a lot about the Babylonian ziggurats, uh, their uh, uh, observatories, whatever the word is. They observe the heavens, their different temples. The Babylonians worshipped. They consulted stars. That's where astronomy came from. Thanks, Nimrod. That's another thing you misled people with. Um, And also notice what Nimrod does here. He's constructs this um, skyscraper that is what? Waterproof. Why would he want to make it waterproof? Well, 
didn't believe what God said about the flood. They thought they were at war with God. Apparently, Nimrod had convinced the people that God was a liar. He is going to flood the world again. We can't trust the rainbow covenant. So the Jewish Talmud actually says that Nimrod wanted to wage war against God. So Nimrod convinced the descendants of Noah that he was a good guy while God was a bad guy. So Nimrod's feet uh, will be duplicated in the last days when antichrists rally around the nations together and establish a global government. That's what's going to happen in the last days. Is the stage being set for that? Absolutely. We're, we're definitely moving towards that. It's interesting today that the word again speaks of a single language. You guys know that we have a lot of X's and O's in our digitized data and the flow that we have can go all around the world with the internet today. I mean, just look at how much connectivity is happening, the communication that is being made throughout the entire world today. And have you guys ever noticed that whenever the world comes together, whether it's uh, the Olympics or the United Nations gathering, it glorifies human beings and not God. Global pandemic. Vaccine. Look at what we were able to do. Look at our scientists and our doctors. Glory to man. It's just our human tendency, guys. That's the way we are. Instead of glorifying God. So this was the motive of Nimrod in the spirit of the age today. Real quick side note. <clears throat> the vaccine passport is not the mark of the beast. If you've bought into that lie, it's ridiculous. Read the Bible. Okay. These teachers out here who are teaching it are false teachers. When you take the mark of the beast, Revelation 13 you will be worshiping not a little a antichrist. There's been many of those, but the antichrist. You will give your allegiance to him and you will have a mark on your forehead or on your hand. It's not going to be something in the way of a passport that you took a vaccine. Okay, So again, be Bereans. What does God say <laughs> about this stuff? Does that stuff point to globalization? Yeah, things are in motion. We, see, we shouldn't be surprised. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. And I see when a lot of this false teaching is coming out of the church, and I don't know why we Christians love conspiracy. We're really good at it and stuff. We are living in the last days. Jesus said, I tell you these things beforehand that your heart shouldn't be troubled. And so much of this conspiracy stuff is coming from a place of fear. It's fear-mongering. It's unbiblical. Study the word of God. Read Revelation 13, what it says. I don't want any of us here at Freedom to be misled, okay? And we could talk all this stuff all day long and waste our time talking about all this stuff, but I believe the more we're just sticking to God's word, we're going to be able to discern the counterfeits that are out there. When they come, it's like, no, we've studied that. We know what the Bible says. This is false. So when I get sent your articles saying, hey, pastor, you need to know this. This is what's going on. No, you need to read the Bible, Period. Okay? It brings clarity, and we have wisdom from God. He's not a God of confusion. And if we're seeking him and believing him, we're not going to get caught up in the world. Okay? We get to be light to the world. And what does the world need right now? They don't need more of us. They need Jesus Christ. So, verse 5 tells us, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one. 
that they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be held from them. So again, God here is against globalism. Um, Not because it's a bad idea, because it doesn't trust, God doesn't trust the heart of man, okay? And rightfully so. Look at our history. (laughs) It's always been a mess, okay? We can start off with good ideas, but it always morphs into something horrible and it falls apart. That's the history of mankind. So as long as men are together, when one family rebels, there's the potential of dragging everyone else down with them. So God wants us to be separate, okay, the population, so the rebellion and apostasy could be minimized and remain localized. So I'm for global unity personally, as long as Jesus Christ is the head of it all. And guys, the Bible tells us that he's going to come back one day. The government's going to be upon his shoulders. And that's when we can trust the government once again because we finally have someone who will do it right. Okay? I look forward to that. So, God said, come, let us go down. Notice again, God speaks in the plural here. Okay, let us go down. It's similar to what we read earlier in Genesis. Let us make man in our image. Right? So it's a reference to the Trinity. God is one God, yet he is three persons. And we see it here again in the Old Testament. So God continues, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So man's rebellion needed to be held in check here. So God threw a wrench in man's ability to communicate. He confused the languages and it caused folks to scatter and to gravitate into these different language groups. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, the name was called Babel. The word means confusion. That's what Babel actually means. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This was an act of mercy and protection for mankind. So if God hadn't baffled these languages... Nimrod's occult, okay, that brand of religion, it would have been normative for the entire human race. That's all they would have known. And do you guys see the grace of God here? Well, why would God do this? Because he's very merciful and loving. That's why he did this. All of humanity would have been doomed otherwise. God broke up the party at Babel to begin a new work on a people who would be faithful to his truth. So chapter 11 of Genesis ends with the genealogy of Jonah's, or sorry, Noah's sons, Shem. And we know that Noah lived 350 years after the flood. Now Shem lived 50 years after Abraham's son, Isaac, was born. Uh, Sam and Ozzy, could I have you guys come up here for a second? I'm going to have you guys hold this. You want to take one side? It's even right side up. Do you guys remember when we talked about the three different people groups a couple weeks ago? Um, after the flood, where Noah's sons uh, were sent, we see them with the different colors, the yellow, blue, and pink on here. I'm going to move the camera out so you guys can see, kind of see at home. Anyways, I want you guys to catch this. Um, there's some people who say a lot of things that the scriptures, Genesis account, being handed down through all those generations, we would have lost so much information. Things would have got mixed up, twisted. We don't really know what really 
happened. So don't believe people when they suggest that creation in the Bible has been, you know, is passed down by uh, word of mouth through countless generations. It's just not so. Uh, Lamech, which is Noah's dad, you guys see, you won't be able to see it out there. But we have Adam and Eve, okay, on the top. They lived this long. And then Lamech was born, who would have been alive during Adam and Eve still, okay? And it's cool because if you look at Lamech, he's all over the lifetime of Noah, and Noah had Shem. Shem could have heard firsthand account from Lamech of the creation story. So that's only one, hey, Grandpa Lamech, you know, handing that down. So we have Lamech, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, the tribes of Israel, okay? They would have got to hear it from Shem himself. Think about that, Noah's son, Shem. How cool is that? And just three links take you all the way back, Adam and Eve, from the children of Israel. Three so don't let anybody pull that junk on you, especially young people when you go off to university. Professors love to throw that out there. I wish they would just read the Bible or get the cool map. <laughs> One or two. Cool, that's good. If any of you guys want to take time, it has all the different people who lived on that map. If you guys ever want to take a look at it, grab it, look through it. But I love how that one's laid out because it kind of looks. Can we give a hand to these guys? You guys did great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Cool. Um, we're in verse 10. <laughs> this is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old, and he begot Arphax said. And two years after the flood, and after Arphax said, Shem lived 500 years, and he begot sons and daughters. And Arphax said, lived 35, and begot Salah. And after he begot Salah, Arphax lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Now, Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Salah lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. And after Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Ru. And after Ru, Peleg lived a 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and begot Surug. And after he begot Surug, Ru lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. And Surug lived 30 years and begot Nahar. And after they begot Nahar, uh, Surug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Now, if you guys notice something, the lifespan is diminishing in length from what we read earlier in chapter 5 in the length of lives. No longer living 900 years. The ages are dwindling towards what we have is current averages. Evidently, without productive vapor canopy that we considered, once that came down with the flood, all that water, living conditions would have changed on Earth and humans would have aged faster. And it's really cool. Some of the latest theories out there uh, are very similar in their suggestions. Scientists have been looking into the sun's radiation and it triggers a process that's embedded within our DNA that makes us age at the rate in which we're aging. Pretty cool stuff for you nerds out there. You're like, whoa, for you other guys, who cares? Anyways, verse 24, Nahor lived 24, or sorry, 29 years and begot Terah. And after he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor and Haran. Now, Abram becomes a very pivotal character. And we're going to spend a few 
studies on him. Now, this is the genealogy, we're told, of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, okay? So Lot is a nephew to Abram, okay? Um, and Haran died before his father, Terah, in the native land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram, Nahor, took wives. And the name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. Um, and the name of Nahor's wife, Melchah, and the daughter of Haran, and father of Melchah, and the father of Ishkah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son, Abram, to his grandson, Lot, the son of Haran, and the daughter-in-law of Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now I want you guys to catch this. Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 11. We raced through history. Almost 2,000 years were covered in those 11 chapters. Okay, And now the last 39 chapters of Genesis only cover 245 years. Okay, so things are switching quickly here for us. So we jump from some giant uh, chasms of understanding with not a whole lot of details. We've been studying through this. You know, what was life like before the flood? Not a whole lot was spoken to that. Um, we know very little before the fall of the garden. We even know less uh, in all of God's creative work. All we know in God's creative work, there was God. I mean, that's really what we know, God, okay? Um, so the, the, the chapters of the first 11 are foundational for you and I as believers, okay? And that's why we're taking our time going through this and we want to get it right. But God works with mankind as a whole with very little success in these chapters. Have you seen a whole lot of success yet? No, they are all doing wickedness in the eyes of the Lord, okay? Not a whole lot of success. In fact, chapter 11 closes with a worldwide revolt. We have Satan here, chooses a man, Nimrod, a place, Babylon, and a means, fear. And God has to bust up this mutiny. So if we're to ask you to divide the Bible into two parts, most of you guys would say, well, that's easy, you know, Genesis to Malachi and then Matthew to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament. If I was to break it up, I'd break it up right here. First 11 chapters of Genesis and then everything else. We start dealing with Israel, God's people, you know, up to today. That's how I would break it up. And that's how foundational the first 11 chapters are for you and I. So in Genesis 12, guys, God, his strategy changes. Okay, no longer will he work with mankind as a whole, but instead one family through which he'll perform his work of redemption. Okay, beginning in Genesis 12, he chose a man, Abram, a place, Canaan, in a means, faith. You guys see how things are changing quickly? So the rest of the Bible is a story of a plan of salvation that God will work through the Hebrew people, the family of Abraham. Look at verse 1. It records the call of Abram here. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country and your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
So Genesis 11, verse 28 says, Abram lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, one of the wealthiest and most sophisticated um, places in ancient civilization. Uh, they were known for their extravagant things. Um, they had bath uh, tubs there that were first, they say that's where they first came up with bathtubs. Okay, so it was kind of like a hot tub haven in the world there. So while living in Ur, Abram married a her, and her name was what? Sarai, right? And her name mean, means contentious, or contentious uh, which proves prearranged marriage. Like what guy is going to go wear, marry a woman with the name contentious, right? <laughs> it just, okay, doesn't happen. Uh, but anyways, one day, uh, Abram comes home from work and announced to Sarai, hey, baby, pack up the house. We're going to move. And I'm sure Sarai got excited and thought, hey, you finally got a raise, Uptown Ur. Here we come. Let's buy a house that has a pool in the back. She's all excited. And then I can hear her ask, honey, you know, which uh, posh subdivision are we going to live in? And then she gets the answer from Abram, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 God just said, move. And he didn't say where yet. <laughs> Could you guys imagine the conversation that they ended up having? I bet you it was a little contentious. Um, but anyways, um, in chapter 11, verse 31, we discover that rather than leave his family, okay, he was told to leave his family, right? Um, in his father's house, as God told Abram to do, he took his father, Terah, and his nephew, Lot. So he didn't obey complicitly with what the Lord asked. Did you guys catch that? I want you guys uh, to make a note of it. Uh, we have Abram now settled in Haran, 600 miles west of Ur, but 400 miles east of Canaan. He settled for less than God's best. Abram followed God, but only halfway. And this happens to us, many Christians. They come to church, they get saved, they clean up their act, but they still want to hold on to elements of the old life. I'm only willing to go halfway. I don't want to be all in. One foot in the world and one foot in the church. Rather than move to a new land, you know, they only move upstream. And it's been said, guys, a backslidden believer has too much of the world to enjoy God and too much of God to enjoy the world. Or as Donald Barnhouse put it, they have enough Christianity to be miserable in a nightclub and not enough to be happy in a prayer meeting. I think that describes a lot of Christians, guys. A partial follower of Jesus will be a miserable man, period. You have been created to enjoy him, but you can't enjoy him when you're messing around with the world. Abram's guy's home was a compromise when it was Haran, which means parched. And when, it, when you compromise, your commitment to Christ will end up parched. You will end up spiritually dry. So it seems Abram here didn't fully follow God until his dad died. So Terah was holding him back. So let me ask you, what's the Terah in your life? What is holding you back? What needs to die? 
what needs to die before you fully become a devout follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Often faith begins with a funeral. It's only when we bury the old desire or habit that we're free to move on with what God has set before us. So God continues addressing Abraham here in verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Now remember, this is exactly what Nimrod wanted. Didn't he say, let's make us a name for ourselves? Right? All about us. But he went about it the wrong way. He rebelled against God. He struck out on his own. Abram, on the other hand, chose to live by faith and to follow God even to the unknown. Okay, And God promised to make his name great. I love it. It's all God's doing here. So God promises in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those or him who curses you. In you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. So over the course of histories, nations have risen and they have fallen based on their treatment of Abram. We see that. Greek culture started to decline when Antiochus destroyed the temple. The same was true with the Romans. We have the Jewish Inquisitions. Uh, they were the end of Spain's greatness. We know of Hitler. He tried to exterminate the Jews. Germany's defeat was certain. And I believe there's reasons why the Soviet Union has fallen. Um, they mistreated, cruelly treated the Jewish people um, in, in opposition to Israel, even to this day. And in contrast, guys, I have no doubt the reason God continues uh, his grace upon us in America, a lot of us are just like, oh, it's all falling apart. No, we still have it pretty good. Check out what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah, we see things beginning, and I think we're going to fall apart when we turn our back on Israel. I think that's the turning point. I think right now we continue to stand in his graces and mercies despite our stupidity <laughs> because we stand with Israel. Just over a year ago, uh, I was proud to be an American, uh, American. Okay, Some of you guys got to go to Israel with me, and we're standing there in Jerusalem at the American embassy, and I felt so proud to be an American. It's like, hey, President Trump said, no, we're getting this done. We're moving the embassy here, and we finally did it. A lot of previous administrations gave live service to it, but it kind of put a stamp of approval. Hey, we are for Israel. But let me tell you what, we will one day turn our back on Israel. Zechariah says, all nations shall be a cup of trembling, okay, to Jerusalem. All, we will one day, okay. The previous administration before our last, we had a president, first one ever in our history to threaten Israel, okay. And the vice president at that time is now our sitting president, and I don't know, well, I do know his take on it. And our, our friendship with Israel is not as stable as what we have been since 1948. And let me tell you guys, we are called as Christians to pray for the peace of Jerusalem do our part, pray for her, support her, speak to our officials and say, hey, this matters to me. <laughs> Israel matters, okay? Um, we will get into more of that stuff in weeks to come. Uh, but here, guys, I think it's neat. God promises Abraham a chunk of land here in Genesis 12. 
that his descendants, they're going to be a great nation, that through Abraham, all the world will be blessed. And this is the most far-reaching and strategic covenant in all of Scripture. The rest of the Bible builds on the Abrahamic covenant. They understand this covenant. Um, and if you grasp it, you're going to understand the whole of the Bible. And here is a condensed version of God's promise to Abram in just three words, land, nation, blessing. That's what he lays down, or an easy way to remember it. Sod, seed, salvation. And we know that Jesus, our Savior, was a Jew. He came through Abraham, the Jewish people, a blessing to all nations. So we'll be taking more, uh, or talking a lot more about this covenant as we go through Genesis. But back here uh, to ch- verse 4, it says, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions in, that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed, and they went to the land of Canaan. And they came to the land of Canaan, and Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I will give the land. So you guys notice it's Abram arrives here in Canaan. God affirms his promise to him. So often God wants uh, wants to bring confirmation, but a lot of times it's after we obey. You guys catch that? Lord, is this really you? Well, I already told you what to do. (laughs) Step out. And often when we step out in what he has spoken, then confirmation comes again. But that's not God's way of doing business. Um, He blesses our faith. I just love that. He blesses our faith. So take God at his word, act on his promise, be obedient, and then God will confirm his will. Let's move on. And there he built an altar. And I want you guys to see how often Abram does this in the scriptures. He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him and moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel to the west of Ai on the east and there he built an altar to the lord and he called on the name of the lord so abram journeyed going still towards the south so twice now abram has built an altar at morah and there in bethel in fact everywhere this man goes he seems to be building altars understand this he could have dug wells right for water or he could have built a house for comfort or forts for protection, but instead he's building altars everywhere he goes. His top priority was um, not sustenance or comfort or protection, but it was worship. And that speaks to me. I've had to ask myself going through these chapters this week, is worship number one in my life? Is that the priority? Guys, understand that's why we've been created. It's for him. It's to worship him with our lives and our possessions, everything that we have, guys. It's to worship him. So Abram built altars to worship God. So maybe you're building a house or a business or a future, fortune, family, whatever it is. Um, But as you journey through life, are you building an altar everywhere you're going? So are you stopping to worship God is the point. So understand, Abram was a man of faith, but as we're already seeing here, 
his faith wasn't perfect from the time uh, to time we see Abram uh, being guilty of stumbles, lapse of faith along the way. And we're going to find another one here in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. And from the famine, it was severe in the land. So when famine strikes, guys, rather uh, stay where God called him, okay, he trusts and trusts God to meet those needs that are coming up. Abram bolts to Egypt, and Egypt's always a picture of the world. He's running to the world um, on the journey here. Um, he, he converses with his wife. It goes on to say, and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful continence. Okay? Good husband. You should tell your wife that once in a while. Um, Therefore, it happened when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is my wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Uh, I think Abram needs to go to that marriage class. (laughs) Uh, Not good to do, husbands. Uh, Now, you guys know that Sarai's name means what? contentious okay that's her name right she had to she had to live with this dude like abram okay what is he doing here ain't nothing like laying down your your life for your woman right um and it's interesting that sarah okay she's a knockout but all abram is worried about is getting knocked off okay uh so he concocts this lie sarah needs to take off the wedding band and just claim to be his sister and this is actually partially true Genesis 20 verse 12 explains that Sarai is Abram's half-sister, but a lie mixed with truth is still a lie nonetheless. You guys understand that? Still a lie. Look at verse 14 with me. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman, or the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with, with great plagues because Sarai, Abram's wife. Now, sisters, ladies, I want you to jot down 1 Peter 3, 6. Because it points out for us in the New Testament Sarah is being a model of every Christian wife. She was submissive to her husband, okay? Not just because he was acting wisely, actually the contrary, okay? Um, and she made some smart moves. She acted, um, she acted uh, in a way of submission uh, really unto the Lord by submitting to her husband. Sarah submitted to his lead even though he was pulling these boneheaded blunders uh, like we see here in Genesis, so Sarah submitted, and God rewarded her submission by protecting Sarah's purity and overlooking Abe's stupidity. Okay, uh, There's a blessing there. Because let me tell you what, I want to apologize to you sisters for us men. We are boneheads a lot. Okay, We need prayer. We're not always going to get it right. But know that God is there on your behalf. He's got you. And I love the example um, of Sarah in the scriptures. So the nations here, guys... Uh, They're supposed to be blessed through Abram, but Abram gets rebuked by a pagan king. You guys ever get rebuked by an unbeliever? 
I have several times in life, I'm just like, oh boy, you don't even know the Lord and I'm being rebuked big time because what you're saying, you're laying down some truth right now. God's using you, you know, and he will, okay? Uh, Look at verse 18. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? And why do you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that they had. So guys, nothing good comes with a lapse of faith. Don't think that Abram gets away unscathed here as he brings back from Egypt two things that give him problems in the future. Herds and a Hagar. Okay? The herds cause a rift with his nephew Lot, and Hagar a rift with his wife Sarah. Chapter 13, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that they had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and gold. Many people believe that uh, Abram was the richest man upon the planet at this time. Um, and he went out on his journey, we're told, from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent uh, had been uh, at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to a place of the altar um, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now we can pull out some really cool truth and application from this. You guys remember all the way back when we started studying uh, the letters that Jesus wrote in Revelation chapter 2 in three, okay? He dresses one of the churches that was in Ephesus. And the believers there had left their first love. So the initial passion, enthusiasm that they had for God had gone. So Jesus tells them, you need to get back to where you were, okay? Remember, he said, from where you strayed, you need to repent and you need to repeat your first works. So remember, repent, and repeat. And that's what Abram does here. So he remembered his lapse of faith. He went back to where God originally led him. He repented of his sin. And then he repented um, or repeated their time spent at the altar. So if you want to change for the better, guys, if you want to alter your life, you need to return to the altar. There are things that you need to go back to. I used to have those sweet times of devotion with the Lord. Times on my knees in prayers, walks with him. Those early morning devotions. I had those sweet times with him. And if you've left that place, you need to repent and return to that altar and start doing those things again. Look at verse 5. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together and their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So I want you guys to notice, because out of the blue, Moses mentions here the Canaanites in the parasites, um, and the question is why? Why are these guys even brought up and mentioned here in Genesis? Well, perhaps he was pointing out the conflict between Abram 
And Lot was a poor witness. Okay? Believers were arguing while the pagans were watching. And I see that happening today. The church, Christians arguing over the stupidest things, and the world is watching us fight with one another, and no wonder they don't want to come to Jesus. That's what Christians are like. Why do I want anything to do with them? So knock it off, okay? Knock it off. The world's watching. If I offend you or think I'm off on something, do what I like to do. I'll message someone personally. I don't want to put out that disagreement for the unlooking, unbelieving world to see us brothers and sisters fighting over stupid stuff. And yeah, we are brothers and sisters, and we will have stupid fights. That's part of family life, guys. But hey, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Okay? Love involves grace. Okay? We speak to each other rightly. We have those conversations. Man, if you see a brother or sister in sin, go to them one-on-one. Speak to them. Don't blast them in front of the whole world to see. Amen? Okay? If you don't agree, repent. Okay? The unbelieving world, they need to see Jesus Christ. They don't need to see his kids fighting. They need him. And we're to point him or point the world to him. So the church needs to be on guard against the same mistake. Let's go on. It says, Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. So, guys, there are times when Christian workers experience a strife with one another, it's part of life. Uh, the key overcoming uh, the friction is to remember, you guys catch, we are brethren, okay? Well, I don't know if we can fellowship. I don't know if I can be with you. No, we're brothers and sisters. We are brethren, okay? There's more that unites us than divides us. Do you guys understand that? I see so much division in the body of Christ, and it's really over secondary things. We believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he is our God. Guys, that's what unites us. Man, we live in a world that's very divided. We live in a nation. I've never seen a nation in my, in my backyard, in my lifetime. I've never seen us be so divided. Okay? Um, it also says, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, hey, I'll go to the left. So Abram gives Lot a choice. You know? Work with your brothers and sisters. You don't always have to get your way. You know, aren't we called to lay down our lives, to serve our brethren, do good, especially to those of the household of faith, other brothers and sisters? Well, how am I going to do good? It's going to take some sacrifice, okay? And then he goes on to say, and Lot lifted his eyes and he saw the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. And Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So Lot made the mistake which a lot of Christians today are guilty of. Ignored the evil of Sodom because they enjoyed it's entertainment, conveniences, glamour, okay? Lot was like the guy who went to the parties but never got drunk, okay? He just liked hanging out with the cool peeps, okay, in cool places. 
Lot didn't realize that eventually that bad company that he chose to surround himself with would eventually drag him down. And I think that's where we need to be very careful, brothers and sisters. The things of this world. And even with our children. Okay? We're living in Sodom and Gomorrah. As we look and we'll get into it soon and see what happens, there's a lot of similarities to our world and our culture today. Um, and this is where Lot chose, it wasn't just him going, he brought his family and chose to allow his family to be influenced by this stuff. Look at verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot has separated from him, lift your eyes now, look to the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and to your descendants forever. So this is a promise from God. This is your land, Israel. You guys understand that they have a right to that land? And isn't it really cool that they're back in the land? We know that they were spread abroad throughout the world for almost 2,000 years. They weren't in their homeland. But just like the Bible said, in the last days, he will bring his people back home to their land. And that was just 1948. That wasn't that long ago. And we have Jews from all over the world that just for some reason feel like they need to move to Israel. How do you have millions of Jews just happening to have all that same feeling? Hmm. Maybe God's doing exactly what he said he was going to do in the last days. But anyways, their land, they're there. So Lot looked eastward. He chose the plain of Jordan. But God tells Abram, hey, I want you to look all of you, all that you can see. It is all yours, Abram. So guys, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And verse 15 also tells us the duration of the promises God made to Abram and Israel. All the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants for how long? Forever. Isn't that cool? So, hey, guys, forever is a pretty long lease, right? It's forever, which means despite what the United States or Muslim countries or the worldwide community tell us, the promised land does not belong to the Arabs. It belongs to the Jewish people, period. You guys know that a lot of the Arab world won't even put Israel on their maps. They won't even recognize her. But they are there today. I got to go and see for myself. It really is. I took some pictures, and they're not photoshopped. All right, verse 16. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could be numbered. So Abram will end up the father of this innumerable multitude of people. And then it says, Arise, walk in the land, through its length and its width, for I give it to you. And I love verse 17. I want to just pause here for a moment because after Abram here, um, Abraham, uh, the tithe deed to the land, uh, God tells him here to walk the property. So in other words, hey, enjoy the blessing that God has given to you. And I think some of us need to slow down and enjoy what God has given to us. Okay, see, if you're in Christ, we're not just entitled to all the spiritual blessings that are in the spiritual places. God wants us to explore and experience the blessings that he has given to us firsthand. Okay, I love what we're told by the prophet Obadiah when we need to possess our possessions. Okay, God has given us things to enjoy. That's okay. 
Where we get it backwards is when we allow the possessions to possess us. Okay? And that happens way too often. Okay? It's supposed to be the other way around. So every believer needs to walk the property. Okay? Enjoy what God's given you. Uh, verse 18, Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth tree of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. So he's building another one. So here again, guys, spending time with God, building altars is the key to building up your faith. Are you doing that? Stop building houses, bank accounts, and build an altar, okay? Not that it's wrong to save your money or build a house, but is place of worship in your life personally the priority? Is that what matters? And then chapter 14, and it came to pass in the days of Amphril, king of Shinar, his secular name was Hemarabi, uh, Erak, king of Eleazar, uh, Chedor Lemur, king of Elam, uh, the Sidal king of the nations, and they made war against Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, uh, Shinab, king of Adma, Shimbir, king of Zebium, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. So war broke out between nine city-states here in two alliances. So all these were told joined together in the valley of Siddam, uh, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Cheddar Lamar there, and thirteenth year rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Cheddar Lamar, the kings that were with him came and attacked Rephim and Asheroth Kiranim. The name Rephim, guys, means giants. You guys remember the Nephilim back in chapter six of Genesis? Um, the Rephim here maybe more mutant offsprings of these demons and women have an offspring. Apparently, isolated example of what happened before the flood occurred in Canaan, after the flood, Moses actually uh, references uh, Rephim that lived uh, in Ashtaroth, Kirim. So Ashtaroth was that Canaanite uh, fertility goddess. Okay, So the worship of Ashtaroth mixed in sex with the occult. So conditions which would be conducive to evil occurring. Now verse 5, guys, continues on this list of these kings that came from Chetelamar to put down a revolt that was popping up near the Dead Sea. It says, Zuzim and Ham and Emim and Shavath Kirithaim uh, were told in Deuteronomy that identifies there for us in chapter 2 both Zuzim and Emim as giants. That's what we're told there. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, and the Horites, the mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Now those were the kings that fought with uh, Cheddar, uh, Dor, Lamar here. And then they turned back and they came to En Mishvat, that is Kadesh. And they attacked the country of the Amalekites and the Amorites who dwelt in Hazaran, Tamar, and the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And they went out and they joined together in the battle of, in the valley of Siddam. So this battle uh, is at the Dead Sea Basin against Chedomar, the king of Elam, uh, Tidal, king of nations, and Amphorol, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Eleazar, and the kings against five. Now, Sodom and her allies here, guys, may have thought that they had an opponent 
outnumbered. We're going to kick their butts. We have the numbers on our side, five to four, but we know that's not so. It says, now in the Valley of Siddim, it was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled, or the remainder, sorry, fled to the mountains. And we'll see later, guys, that Sodom and Gomorrah were known for their sexual perversions. Um, it's a little wonder that they got beat in battle, okay? Men that lack moral courage seldom find courage in other areas of their life. That's just the way it is. Uh, it's ironic that these sexual deviants of Sodom and Gomorrah end up uh, falling into these asphalt pits. Again, the old King James translates this as slime pits, okay? So slimy people usually end up mired in slimy circumstances. That's just normally what happens. All right, verse 11. Then they took the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and their provisions, and they went their way. But here comes their big mistake. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods and departed. So they just picked on the wrong guy's relative right here, okay? Abram turns into, uh, you know, big brother here, let's say. Verse 13. Uh, then one who had escaped came, told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the parent of trees in Mamre and Amorite, brother Eshkol and brother of Ener here, and they with their allies with Abram. So the word Hebrew means to cross over. I think that's always cool in scripture. So Abram was called the Hebrew when he crossed over Jordan. He entered the land of Canaan. And it says, now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and they went to pursue and they pursued as far as Dan. So Abram, I want you guys to catch this. A man of faith, but apparently uh, he saw no conflict between trusting God and keeping an armed trained militia under his own roof just in case. That's what we see there. Some people say, well, should Christians defend themselves? You know? Well, let me tell you what. If somebody wants to take my life for the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. I'm willing to buy a, you know, die a martyr's death. But man, if some God, a guy messes with God's people, I'm going to stop him. You know? I'm just not going to let evil happen. It doesn't mean we're not you know, people of faith by stopping evil. Does that make sense? And we see that with Abraham. So Abram here divided his forces against them by night. So night warfare. So Abram, a man of faith, again, no problem here with tactical military maneuvers going on. And hey, real faith, it's not passive, okay? Um, in a fact of faith, it does something. God um, asked Abram to trust him, and he's trusting him, but he also did his part. And that's what we need to do. Be asking the Lord, what's our part? Because we are in a battle. Do you guys know that? Even though the victory is won, <laughs> there is a battle going on. A very real battle. What is our part and how do we engage in it? And let me tell you what, it's not going to be in the ways we think. Okay? Because our warfare, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Do you guys know that? Principalities and powers. So how do we actively get involved with those realities, those things that are going on? How do we battle how are we living out eternal realities in truth? Yeah, we are just passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is true. 
but we're here for a purpose and a reason. And there's a battle going on right now over the souls of men, and we need to engage. And I believe that really comes back and takes form flesh, works itself out around the reality of the Great Commission. Aren't we called to go save? Like, we don't save, but we preach the gospel that others may come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And when people get saved, that's when they change. Do you guys know that? Okay. Otherwise, we're a sounding gong. We can be so right about so many things, but to the unbelieving world, if we're not doing things the way God's called us to do them, we're just going to be a sounding gong. Okay. How are we going to love on people in ways that make them turn to Jesus and see his love? We need to fulfill the Great Commission. We need to go speak the truth and do it in love, guys. People are hurting. They are hopeless. They see the same junk that we see going on in the world, but they don't have hope. They don't have answers. We do, and we get to share that. Isn't that a cool privilege to be called to that ministry, the ministry of reconciliation? It's good. And there's times where we need to stand up and speak. But if we're just a sounding gong all the time about everything, when something important comes up and we speak, is anyone going to pay attention? No. I hope when things go down that we have such a witness to the world that we have loved people deeply, relationally, in a very real way that if we do speak up, they're actually going to listen to our words. They're not just going to write us off as a bunch of bigoted, stupid Christians. No, (laughs) you love me. You're living your faith. You're the real deal. We need to be a very real witness to the world. And yeah, we can say a lot of things, but man, love's a verb. (laughs) Let's do something, not just say it, do it. So we got to wrap this up. Uh, Did we look at verse 13 yet? Crossover, yes, no, maybe so. Um, We looked here, now Abram heard that his brother was taken captive. He armed 318 trained servants. That's crazy. Oh, we looked at that too. Uh, So apparently Abram here had been outnumbered by this uh, Cheddar Lamar, four to one. But Abram believed one plus God equals a majority. You guys know that? Okay, if God's on your side, it doesn't matter how many are coming against you. You are the majority. And the king of Sodom, he went out to meet him at the valley of Shevah in the king's valley there. And after they returned from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, the kings who were with him. So after his victory, Abram meets two kings, okay? A sinful king of Sodom and the saintly king of Salem. The Salem, the word means peace. Jerusalem, the city of peace, maybe the king of Jerusalem. Uh, Salem is abbreviated from the word Jerusalem, city of peace. Melchizedek, we're told here, king of Salem. He brought out what? Bread and wine. Isn't that kind of cool? And he was a priest of God most high and blessed him and said, Bless Abram, the God of Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So this mysterious Melchizedek shows up and blesses Abram. So in the New Testament, guys, Hebrews chapter 7, I'd encourage you guys to read it. The writer tells us that Jesus was not a priest, or he was a priest, and not after the order of Uh, the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, okay? But he was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. 
Now, under the law, Moses' kings were forbidden to be priests, but Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. Isn't that kind of cool to think about? So, thus, Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek and not of Levi. In Hebrews 7.3, it reveals that Melchizedek, uh, kind of a bizarre pedigree for this guy. Uh, he was without father, without mother, without genealogy, without neither beginning of days nor end of days, but made like the Son of God, we're told. Okay? So he had no birth date, no date of death. Um, as the Hebrews say, he remains a priest continually. This has led some scholars to believe that Melchizedek was actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Um, maybe. I don't believe so personally. That's what I was taught growing up. A lot of scholars adhere to that. But it's pretty clear if you just read Genesis, you wouldn't come to that conclusion just from the Old Testament. Okay? And then when we read the New Testament, some say Melchizedek is a Christophany, Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. Every time we do see an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, he comes and he goes. Okay? He doesn't hang out. This king, I mean, he's in Jerusalem, living there, serving. And there's just things like Melchizedek. If he was Melchizedek, it would tell us plainly that he was Melchizedek. I love types of Christ in the Bible. I love Christophanies in studies. Uh, you guys can chew on this your, yourselves. I, you know, people use John 8.56 where it says of Jesus when he was talking with the leaders of the Jews there, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad. You know, a lot of people, well, that was Melchizedek. Well, didn't we just read earlier that the Lord himself appeared to Abram? <laughs> the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Okay, I don't think this is referring necessarily back to Melchizedek. I could be wrong, but I'm not. So you guys can dig in on your own. And so I just think it's a cool picture because a type of Christ, okay, every time we see a type of Christ in the Old Testament, there's not always a ton of detail that's given to that person. It's to make points that point to Jesus Christ. Not that it is Jesus, but hey, this is a type of Jesus. We can learn things from his example. Okay? And we learned some stuff from Melchizedek that are types of Christ, which is pretty cool. Um, and I would encourage you guys, if you want to learn a little more, uh, Psalm 110 talks um, about Melchizedek. And it's also the psalm that is quoted more times in the New Testament than any other psalm. And then chapter 5 of Hebrew will give you some context to chapter 7 of Hebrews where it lays out and speaks in depth to uh, Melchizedek. Okay, because he is the king, okay, king of righteousness, Mel, okay, um, Kizedek, righteousness, king, um, and he's from Salem, and I love that, okay, it's not the king of heaven, okay, it's a literal place, we just read in context, all these kings were from specific places, they were kings of specific places, just like this king is a king of a specific place. But he's a pretty cool character. I think it's interesting. He comes on the scene here and he brings bread and wine. Perhaps Abram shared in communion with him. I think that's a cool picture. It could be that Abram knew a lot more about the gospel uh, than what we might assume. Uh, verse 20, it says, And he, Abram, gave him a tithe of all. So this is a big deal with Jewish, um, the writer of Hebrews uh, he uses the argument that it's hard to use uh, to understand. So it's based more on an oriental logical 
uh, understanding than what we understand in the West. But since, uh, genetically speaking, the tribes of Israel were still Abraham's loins, the tribes there uh, paid tithes to Melchizedek. If Abram did that, uh, Abraham is demonstrating that the priests after the order of Melchizedek were superior to the Jewish priesthood would later come from his lineage. Um, and this was about 2,000 years before the cross. Um, the Levitical priesthood, the establishment of Israel, didn't happen until 1400 BC. So there's hundreds of years there before the priesthood was established. Um, and I think it's really cool that here we have this example. And here we have Abram tithing to him. A lot of people, well, tithing, that's not something we should do because that's under the law. No, tithing was an example given even before the law was ever even established. So when it comes to giving, guys, I think that's a good biblical principle that we see in the scriptures that are established. Um, but here we have Melchizedek. Okay, he just pops onto the scene, but after uh, a little later, you know, he becomes a pretty much unimportant person. Like, hey, here he is, and now he's gone. Okay, <laughs> um, Yeah, let's finish up. Verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram here, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, and I will take nothing from the thread of the sandal strap and that will not take anything that is yours lest you should say I have made Abram rich except only what the young man or men have eaten in the portion of the men who went with me in our Ashkal Mamre let them take their portion so Abram preserves his integrity here okay I think that's pretty stand up right thing to do unlike Lot who is willing to snuggle up with the evil of Sodom to take advantage of its riches and its conveniences. Abram wanted no part of anything that Sodom had to offer. He wanted no association whatsoever. He recognized its corruption, okay, the influences, and wanted no one to think that he had anything to do with the king of Sodom. So Abraham, he preserved his integrity here, and in the end, both decisions had significant consequences. And we'll get into those consequences the next time we pick it up in Genesis. Sound good? Isn't it cool just how much practical wisdom is in just these few chapters? Like, really, guys, I could sit and talk with you for hours more on this. But that's why the Word of God is so needed for us. I mean, this stuff was thousands of years ago, and how still... So practical for you and I as believers today. Only the word of God can do that. Isn't it cool? I think it's cool. Lord, we do thank you for your word. I thank you for these, my brothers and sisters, all those who've been watching online with us this morning. I thank you for these guys. Lord, that they trust you, that they want to know your word. God, and we don't want to just be hearers of it. We want to be doers of it also. So please, uh, Holy Spirit, bring things to remembrance. Help us to... Uh, just learn from these guys' example. We want to be people of faith. Lord, even when we stumble, uh, we're told that a righteous man will get back up seven times. Lord, we're, we're going to fall, but we have faith in you that you're there with us, God, and that you're going to get us where we need to be, that you do have good in view. Lord, we thank you that your ways are so much better than ours. 
We do thank you for the book of Genesis. This has been a huge blessing to be able to get into with my church family here. I just thank you for these brothers and sisters. And we ask in your name that you would just help us to keep our eyes upon you. Lord, help us just to be a sweet witness to this world. Lord, um, you are so good. You are so right. You are so merciful and kind and compassionate. We want to rightly represent you, God. This world needs to know that you love them, that you died for them. God, that there is a way to be forgiven. There's a way to get right. Lord, help us to do that just in ways that honor you rightly. So give us wisdom. Give us of your spirit. Bless my brothers and sisters, please. We ask in your name. Amen. Cool, cool. Love you guys. Romans 5 next week. We're going to get through a lot, so please read ahead. Check out Romans 5. Lord willing, we will see you guys next week. Have a good one.